Michael Kitson, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're looking at the outlook for the economy in the early part of uh, 2011. What's your verdict? We've had a contraction of 0.5% in GDP in the UK. Inflation, they say, is set to grow to 4 to 5%. But on the other hand, you know, the British Retail Consortium are saying, hold your nerve. Um, there is manufacturing activity, uh, construction, the service sector, there's growth there too. It's not that bad, is it? I think my, my view is rather pessimistic at the moment. I think that the outlook is not good for the UK economy, particularly over the next 18 months or so. We are going to have slow growth or perhaps no growth at all, a stagnating economy over the next 18 months. And we're going to have high and rising inflation, which also creates problems for trying to generate stimulus for the economy. Uh, My view is that it's not good at the moment. And what are the indicators that you look at in particular? How do you arrive at that verdict? Well, mainly if we look at the, the, the figures you just mentioned, if we look at GDP, GDP growth was negative in the last quarter. Now, we know that these, this data is subject to revision. But even if it's revised upwards somewhat, we're still going to have very low, if not stagnant, growth. The forecasts going forward are not good over the next 18 months. And, of course, if you look at the inflation rate, if we look at the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, or other measures of inflation, there's very many different ones, they are all indicating inflation going up and perhaps not coming down until about 18 months' time. This creates a sort of a, a double bind for the economy because it has both slow growth and inflation. Um, what we tend to think is when, when the economy is slowing down or cooling down, unemployment goes up, but inflation goes down. When the economy is overheating, inflation goes up, but unemployment goes down. We've got a problem now of unemployment going up and inflation going up at the same time. It creates a real problem. And, and you've got, of course, job cuts in the public sector, those councils, everything the local government association has been saying recently, and, of course, the, in the private sector. But there are others who are saying to, to David Cameron and George Osborne, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, hold your nerve. Why do we seem to have these two divergent views at the present time? Well, of course, economists always disagree with one another, which is a bit of a problem. And, and of course, many people in the population find this frustrating, that if you listen to different economists, you get different perspectives. Uh, but it the, is frustrating. It is frustrating. But let's just remember that economics is about trying to understand why people do what they do, whether they're workers or firms and so on. It's not a science, despite what some economists would try and portray it as. So, it's, so you could have it wrong. I could have it wrong, but I think I've got a good idea about what's going on by looking at the past as well as by actually looking at more recent evidence. So what does the past tell us? Well, if we look at some of the major recessions we've had in the past, if we look at the Great Depression in 1929 to 32 in the UK, and if we look at the Thatcher recession in, in the early 1980s, what we see is that governments need to change policy to generate growth. Sticking to plan A has never worked. We've always had to have plan B. If we look at the 1930s, for instance, what we saw is that governments tried to have balanced budgets and it just made things worse. In the end, they had to have policy regime change. They had to lower the exchange rate. They had to introduce cheap money, which we can't really do now because we can't get much cheaper than it is at the moment. And they introduced protectionism. So it was a change in policy that generated growth in the 1930s. The same thing happened in the 1980s. We often hear that Mrs Thatcher was not a person for turning, there is no alternative, and she stuck to her policy. That's not true at all. But it's that monetary policy of Thatcherism that the British government is now following. Cameron and Osborne think Thatcher got it right. Well, they think Thatcher got it right by reducing the role of the state and having tight monetary policy. Well, actually... It wasn't tight monetary policy that generated growth in the 1980s. It was loosening of monetary policy. And it was also by having financial deregulation in the mid-1980s, which, of course, created the credit, a credit bubble, a housing bubble, and uh, debt 
levels, very high levels of debt level in, in for consumers. So like, that, 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 that generated growth throughout the 1980s. It was policy change in the early 80s, a loosening of monetary policy. It was financial deregulation. It wasn't sticking to this notion of very strict monetarism and actually reducing the role of the state throughout the UK economy. Some of the economic commentators that people look up to in society at the moment are saying that you've got two historical living experiments going on in the world economies at the moment. You've got the British one, as you rightly say, following monetarism, but you've got the American economy in growth uh, because of Obama pursuing fiscal stimulus. Is that unusual that you've got these two experiments going on at the same time? And in the end, whose experiment is going to prove right? America is at least in growth. I think America is in growth, and I think American policy is broadly correct, that when we have a period of recession, we need expansionary policies to generate growth. I mean, it was once said, I mean, if you, if you look at the monetarist experiment in the UK, you can say Mrs. Thatcher started it. It was actually started by James Callaghan in 1976, when he said to the Labour Party conference, I tell you in all candor, you can't spend your way out of recession. Well, actually, that's the only way you ever get out of recession is somebody spends something because firms will not produce things that they cannot sell. So we rely on demand coming from somewhere. Somebody wanting to buy our goods and services. Now, in the UK, we can't rely on households to do that because they're concerned about debt and they're concerned about unemployment. We can't rely on many firms to do that because they're concerned about the fact that sales are actually declining. They've got higher tax rates and so on in terms of VAT, so making their goods less competitive. We can't rely on the public sector because there's public expenditure cuts. So what we're doing is relying on foreign consumers, foreign consumers to get us out of the recession. So relying on selling goods abroad. And mainly we're relying on doing this on our manufacturing sector. So we think we can export our way to recovery and export our way through manufacturing. That's a very difficult ask because actually our manufacturing is only 12% of our economy. We've actually neglected manufacturing since the Second World War and now we're relying on manufacturing to generate sustained growth. It will help. It will contribute, but it will not be, it's not large enough to contribute a sustained recovery over the next three to five years. But that's exactly where the British economy is looking to, isn't it? It's looking elsewhere in Europe, and, and it cites Germany, where they have a stronger manufacturing base as opposed to our, our base in the financial services industry. Couldn't Britain become a manufacturing nation again? Couldn't we invest in manufacturing, invest in light engineering to reinvent our past as our future? Well, we could develop a coherent manufacturing strategy. We need to bear in mind we cannot compete in low-cost manufacturing. We we just haven't got the ability to compete with the other industrialising countries in Asia uh, and Eastern Europe in terms of low-cost manufacturing. Where we can compete is in high-technology manufacturing. But we need a coherent industrial strategy to to help develop our high-tech manufacturing sectors. And we haven't had this for the past 40 or 50 years. We need a coherent industrial strategy. And if we look at now, the government is very concerned about... uh, budget deficits, reducing the deficits, reducing government expenditure. What it hasn't put forward yet is a policy for growth. We haven't even got a plan A in terms of the policy for growth, let alone a plan B. So we need an industrial strategy. Do you you think this late on that Osborne and Cameron can come up with that? Can they come up, if you like, with their plan B? Surely they'll have to, to save face, if, as you say, this monetarist policy doesn't pull us out of recession and leads to slump. I would like to see a coherent strategy for growth, not just for manufacturing, but across the economy, particularly in knowledge-intensive activities, be they services or manufacturing. We haven't seen one coming. And I think we need to think about the politics of this policy and not just the economics of the policy. I think the economics 
are very, very suspect and uh, were disproved as a coherent strategy in the 1930s, this notion that you balance budgets and the government must reduce its role in the economy. If we look at the politics, though, I think there's a major two, two major issues here, is that the Conservative Party particularly, but also the, the government itself, the, the, the coalition government, wants to reduce the role of the state in society. This reflects the big society agenda. It reflects its whole focus. That the, the focus of cutting deficits, 80% is reducing government expenditure and 20% is increasing taxes. The main long-term agenda is to decrease the role of the state. I think that's very difficult to do for lots of reasons. Mrs. Thatcher didn't achieve that. The other short-term political objective is let's have the pain now. Let's have the pain over the next two years, and then we can start to have more expansion in three, four, five years' time, particularly when we're coming up to an election. So I think part of it is short-term politics and also long-term political strategy as well. It's not just about economics. The problem is that the, the, you can causing so much pain to the patient at the moment that you could are in danger of killing the patient and really harming our long-term growth prospects. So if you were the Chancellor and you were drawing up that industrial strategy, you know, what industries would you invest in and, and how quickly could the UK economy possibly grow from that investment? Surely there, you couldn't do it in the short term. You cannot do it in the short term. Therefore, there's two elements to this, I think. There's a short-term strategy of not cutting the deficit too quickly, learning the lessons from the United States, not cutting the deficit too quickly to maintain economic activity to try and maintain and get the economy starting to grow again. That's a short-term objective. The government's focusing on cutting the deficit. I think they're cutting it too quickly, and they're focusing too much on the public expenditure side. On the other side, we need a more coherent industrial strategy, a more coherent economic strategy for growth. We need to focus on those sectors where we can compete in the long term in the economy. I would identify three, high technology manufacturing, but that's only a small part of the economy, increasingly education in our universities, but of course they're under threat at the moment, and thirdly our creative industries. Those are areas we need to invest and develop. The other aspects we need to do, and this would involve government expenditure, is to improve our infrastructure. It's improve our infrastructure and our communication systems to help our economy grow. So that's back to fiscal stimulus and Keynesian economics. It, it takes us full st circle back to what you're saying. You have no belief in monetarism at all. But monetarism has, has never succeeded. We think we had a monetarist experiment in Britain in the 1980s. We didn't. Even Milton Friedman said that, that it wasn't a proper monetarist experiment. This is just a myth that we had monetarism in the 1980s and it worked. What we had is an attempt at monetarism from 79 to 81. It threw the economy into a major shock, a major recession. Then we had an easing of monetary policy in the 1980s and a financial bubble. So the, the monetarist experiment is a myth. What about Hayek? You know, there's renewed interest in, in all of these monetarists. Well, well Hayek's a bit different to, to many of the others. Uh, he's the focus on, on, on free markets and so on. Um, uh, I think there's often more to be said for Hayek than there is for Friedman. But again, I think he's flawed because I think that in an advanced developed economy, you need an active role for the state. Now, this is two elements. We need to, we need to try and distinguish the two elements to this. One is the difference between tax and spend. Do you have deficits and do you have surplus? When the economy is slowing down, you need to have deficits to maintain economic activity. So that's a balance between deficits and surpluses. You build up surpluses when the economy is growing. The other aspect is the overall size of the government or the state in the macro economy, in the economy as a whole. And I think we've seen from the 1950s onwards, governments are getting bigger in all the advanced countries for lots of reasons. Government expenditure needs to fit in to help develop the economy, help infrastructure, and help ensure there are areas that help the economy develop, the private sector as well as the public sector. Also, the state, the government, are very important in providing education and health, which are areas that are important for our individual quality of life, but also for the economy. 
and, and also, of course, the role of the state in help providing a welfare system as well. So I think governments and the role of the state are very important in making the economy grow and also making the private sector grow as well. So finally, uh, Michael Kitson, we're not going to see jobs created out of this balancing of books approach and it's from work it's from jobs that in fact you'll cut the deficit ultimately because people in work pay taxes they're not on on benefits and you know it's those employment statistics that we need to look at that's right i mean if if we're going to generate long-term sustainable growth and long-term fiscal balance we need to generate jobs because by generating jobs it creates tax revenue and reduces transfer payments unemployment benefits and so on so we need to generate jobs the policy at the moment is not only destroying jobs in the public sector but it will have multiplier or linkage effects to the private sector and that will again put added burdens on the budget deficit it's very difficult to cut the budget deficit when the economy is having slow growth it's much better to focus on developing policies to cut deficits when the economy is growing, not when the economy is contracting. So you remain a pessimist? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Michael Kitson, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. Thank you.